Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. I'm George Hendricks. And today we're rounding out the week with Minute 30. Minute 30 begins with Burke nervously approaching Ripley and ends with Apone telling the Marines to get in there. That's right. And uh, one last day with George Hendricks uh, co-piloting with me, so to speak. Thanks for uh, being with me all week this, this week. I just said week like five times. Thanks for being coming back, George. No problem, Captain, my captain. <laughs> All right. And Katie and Margaret are back again for one more day. Thanks for being with us all week. CGIF. Everywhere you look. <laughs> all right. Well, we kind of had, we kind of moved the end of the last minute over to today. So we'll just start with the dropship. We get our first little shot of the nose of the dropship here. And we get Ripley looking up to looking up at it. I, I sense just a little bit of concern, uh, maybe a little, mostly curiosity, but maybe a little concern as she's realizing she's going to have to get in that thing and go down to the planet. Um, we also get Burke approaching, who is clearly nervous, right? Well, Burke is always nervous. Well, he, he's doing the classic: snap your fingers, hit your fist with the bottom. You know, just, the classic eighties yeah, yuppie. Space yuppie, nervous uh, hand gestures. He's dressed like I would picture an executive dressing when he goes out to his hunting cabin. Yeah, exactly. He wants to look the part. He's like a lumberjack. Now no, we talked about that earlier. That he he hit up Eddie Bauer, you know, Space Eddie Bauer, right before <laughs> they left for this. This is all. There's still tags hanging from the, the from the vest that he's wearing. You know, this movie made yeah. me hate Paul Reiser so much. And then Mad About You was like a popular show, and people were like, "Why don't you watch Mad About You?" And I was like, "Oh, why would she marry that guy? He's such a jerk. I can't watch that show." <laughs> See, I think I saw. I'm pretty sure my two dads. And my two dads, yeah. Don't give that guy a little girl. He is not <laughs> responsible. Him and Greg Evigan. <laughs> <laughs> see i think i saw my two dads maybe before at least a little bit before i saw aliens so i thought i saw when i saw aliens i was like oh it's it's my two dad number two you know Oops. well i have the opposite problem because i think i saw mad about you more before i really registered aliens so i feel like it's a little hard for me because like, oh, he's so nice and charming he's not okay he's not a nice guy <laughs> do not marry him <laughs> Uh, she, but she was so mad about him. How could she resist? <laughs> so mad Until about him. Until put a face hugger in her bedroom. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's it's telling though. We get. Uh, I've been talking about this here and there as we go along. Uh, there was a shot originally when when not originally, but when Bert goes into her apartment with Gorman and tries to talk her into coming. We get this the call to to the hero's journey scene, and there's a moment where you know where they're his attempt to sell her on the idea of going back to the planet has come to a climax. She's shut him down. She said, absolutely no. And we cut to this little two shot 
uh, um, I posited that the two shot is kind of an awkward, tight shot of the two of them still kind of pushed together. And then I thought, oh, this is visually illustrating to us that they are going to be tethered together, that they are they are a duo of sorts, a, an uneasy um, alliance. And I think we get a little bit of that here, too. We get this juxtaposition of the two of them. Ripley's definitely cooler than Burke uh, as far as this anticipation of the dropship is concerned. And he's always kind of looking to her, too, right? He's oh, yeah. kind of looking for – he comes up and looks and sees how she's reacting to this moment right now. And so I think we're further keeping them as a couple, as a pair, not a couple so in the traditional sense. But they're a pair. They're tied together, whether she likes yeah. it or not. And that's all going to start to unravel, of course, as the movie goes along. But it's a, it's a little relationship that's been built visually through the movie. Hmm. Yeah, they also uh, share hair, or at least stylists, because they have the exact <laughs> same haircut. Oh, that is a good point. <laughs> you get away with that back then, yeah. That is that why I hate term. haircuts so much? It was so much worse when it was long in the back. I liked it better long uh, in the back. No. So I have, a, I have a question for you guys. So do you think there might be some uh, entendre with Burke's name? You tell me because I have a theory about his name. So you tell me your oh, theory. But I have no idea because, what you're let's, doing. Let's talk about I it. I feel like his name is probably it's Burke, B-U-R-K-E. But that's a homonym for the um, slang Burke, which is B-I-R-K or B-E-R-K, which is uh, – let's just say it's a, it's a Cockney rhyming slang for a, a pretty – a word we won't say here, but it definitely um, – it, it fits his character, at least what we find. Well, I wonder if that is the same thing that I thought Burke was, but uh, – so Burke and Hare were the two resurrectionists that went around and they stole people. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, those to guys. To sell to the – to the people to dissect, and then they eventually killed a couple oh, people for that reason. But those are both English. Mm. I wonder if they have the same because that's what I thought. Well, Burke is a bad guy. Yeah, well, and he and he's sort of doing that, right? Like yeah. he's yeah. So yeah, that's he, he I, lured him in and yep. bought him drinks. And so then could have, when like, they turned their back, then he killed them. So that's interesting. Yeah, because like I said, that's the nice. version I'm looking at definitely has connotations to what he does later. And yours, obviously, is more of a character arc. Yeah, that's good. We hadn't talked about his name yet, so that's... I uh, hadn't thought about his name. It's awesome. It's because my brother-in-law's last name is Burkowski. Hi, John Burkowski. (laughs) (laughs) So we get the dropship. We get Ripley looking at the dropship. We're probably going to have a lot more talk about the dropship next week, so I might... You know, unless you guys have a lot to say about it, we might move on to the personnel carrier. I just, the dropship drives me crazy because it looks so much like one of the models in Terminator 2. Like when they're, oh, when they're showing a right. the flash forward, or maybe it's Terminator 1, where, where he's having a dream and like the drop sh- the ship crashes and term- in, in that one. It's, it's the exact same thing. It's the same like. Ooh, we can talk about similar worlds. Well, isn't this Cyberdyne Systems? And then this one is slightly different, not Cyberdyne Systems. And there's yeah. all these, and the Whalen the Utani Corporation, which is also in the Wheaton universe, it's apparently you can see a uh, Whalen Utani logo in Firefly, Firefly nice. as well as Angel. Okay, huh. I did not know this. Wow. Nerd. Uh, and I always Hicks always reminded me a lot of Jane when I first met Jane when I first met Jane in Firefly. Oh, he yeah, reminded me very that. much of Hicks. Except I like Jane I way see, better than Hicks. Oh, absolutely. Uh, But I can see those two being cousins or grandparents, you know, one of them. I don't know which came first timeline, but, you know, all the universe is very interesting. 
Uh, we definitely get that shared universe idea here in, in this movie. And, and you're right. It looks, it's what we've been calling the Cameron land is this, you yeah. know, the Cameron world. He likes very similar looking things. We talked about avatar having something so similar to the loader. Oh yeah. And you're right. These ships look just like the, the machines ships in, in, Terminator, both Terminators. I think well, they're pretty close. Avatar, I feel like there's a big similarity between the bomber that goes to deposit the massive bomb at the very end. It looks very similar to, and like, you know, a much larger scale to the dropship. It's, it's got like these echoes. In, and it's got a Harrier, it's like a Harrier-like design, right? So then you get the Harrier and True Lies. And oh, yeah, that's a- he just, Cameron just loves that shit, I guess. So. I think Harriers are really cool, too. Don't get me wrong. I love those things. Those are great. Those are my favorite planes. But he does like to like dip his fingers in his own pool more than once oh for sure i mean you know these guys cameron lucas you know all these these like they're like tech innovators and they also like the idea that they've created this massive world yeah and they like to stick to it and i think they like the idea that there's a um sort of like patented ideas on their movies there's there's trademarks that they always have in their movies so it's fine you know we enjoy it too it's part of the fandom right yeah, yeah definitely but we also get we get another piece of tech that comes in that Gorman waves in to the scene, and that's the uh, M five seventy seven armored personnel carrier, which will play prominently through the rest of the movie, or at least through the first half of the movie. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I think this thing's pretty cool. I I've always thought that this was another one of the this was another one of those moments where I was like, what is this thing? And you right about the time that this movie came out, I was deep into GI Joe, right? And this thing <laughs> both. Scratches Both the, the yeah. Oh, between the dropship, look, the dropship has that A ten warthog look. Um, so this this personnel carrier though is an interesting bit of practical adjustment they had to make during production as well. The original design of this was going to be built from the you know from the ground up. Uh, how much do you guys know about this? I know a little bit. Of, I know a little bit about what happened, but they had to scrap the original design because of the budget. Yep. So bought this Hunslet air towing tractor from British Airways straight off the ground at Heathrow. But yep. they had to remove four tons of ballast <laughs> because to get traction, that thing had to weigh, I thought it was 40. It was like 75 to 35. Oh, I thought it was four tons of ballast. I don't, I don't know. know. It could be. Yeah. Anyway, they had to strip it down to make it, make it usable because it would fall through the floor of the studio. Wow. Yeah, I guess the, the only way these things can really drag a plane, or at the time at least, What's for it to be just way over ballasted? Like they they couldn't get the traction on these things without weighing them down severely. So in order to have them, I mean, look at that set. Look at the grating on the floor, right? Yeah, I wonder yeah. how the, that this thing's really like, held it up. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, fully weighted one of those would have ripped right through that flooring. Yeah, for sure. So they had to pull all that ballast off, but it's kind of cool. I'm. I, this is one of those times where you kind of wanted to see what they were going to do originally, but this is such a great looking little piece of machinery. And I think part of it is that it is a practical, like a real world thing. It makes and that kind of hits. Tank. Yeah. It, it seems like a tank. It, it, it also seems otherworldly at the same time because of all the modifications they gave to it. So we get that, you know, a lot in the Lucas, we were talking about George Lucas a minute ago in the Lucas, you know, star Wars universe, in the original trilogy, sometimes you would get these things like uh, I always thought the Jawa, the the sand crawler, oh, yeah. was really cool because it looked like it could be something. Of course, it's it's an exaggerated version of something. It's a it's a space sci fi fantasy version of it, but then it also has like tractor treads on it, uh, you know, or uh, 
know, bulldozer treads on it, the combination of the otherworldly and the practical real thing just hits you in a certain way. I think that's what makes for good sci-fi in a lot of ways. Why these kind of movies, why the original Star Wars impacted the way it did, why Alien and Aliens impact the way they did. And why, for instance, the prequels where everything was some new, completely from the ground up concept hasn't quite had the same effect yeah. uh, culturally. It just alienated so, and insinuated. It just you know just turned everybody off because it just looked like something that wasn't they, – they couldn't relate to it. Yeah, yeah. You, you need a little something to grasp. Unless you're going full fantasy. I mean, even even that, there's usually something that you can relate to. I mean, you know, in your, in your hard – fantasy novels or movies or whatever you still have people with axes you know things that you've seen and things that you've probably held in your life i think all those things really help sell the idea i really i I drive a honda and what i relate to is that thing doesn't look practical because there is zero clearance it doesn't have oh the bottom yeah i mean there's how if you take that on a planet unless you're on a paved road it just isn't that that's work? a good point. That's a good point. That's nothing that's ever really occurred to me. But it's, yeah, it doesn't have the treads, yeah. that rotating treads like a tank, a crawler. Really yeah, anyone trying to drive that in Denver would get laughed off the road because as soon as it snows, <laughs> like just a little bit, they're just gonna get bogged down and oh, not yeah. going. Or, or if you came to it, even the slightest incline, oh, yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's something that is. You're right. It's clearly built to be on a flat tarmac. It's like uh, a military it, Batmobile is what it looks it's like. Very it's very Batmobile. Exa- yeah, exactly. It definitely has a Batmobile, like, especially the, uh, the, the the Nolan reimagination of one. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was going to say this more. it's more the Burton. The Burton one is the one that had no clearance. The, the Nolan one is the one that has that's a can tumble over. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just has that militaristic. Wish, but how does it work? I want to know how it's supposed to work. On that terrain, especially because it was so rocky. Well, I think it just. I wish it was more beat up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll I wish it was more beat up. Have a little more carbon score. Or honestly, I could see it. I could see it do one of those things where it has like a low clearance now because they're on ship, but once they get land, like maybe like the the suspension kicks in and like raises it up as it needs to. For more practice. So it's got hydraulics. So it pulls up to a stoplight and it's like, <laughs> it intimidates you by going up. Bounces up and down, <laughs> listen to the NWA. Yeah. All right. Anybody have anything more about the about the personnel carrier? I think it'd make a great toy. Yeah. yeah it would, Except right. it would get stuck on stuff all the it time. Would, it would. It's true. Well, now that you said that. So we cut then to... It's really we're really into prep time now, right? We get this close up of a shin guard being clasped onto a shin, you know, and and we're really heavy into the into the martial music now. And weirdly though, I mean, we're about to get Apone going full drill sergeant, but when they cut to this shot, did you guys notice how Apone's tone and what he's saying? How strange it is. It is weird, he's but going, I was distracted by what's in Hicks's locker. But you go ahead. Oh well, he's got. I think we get we're getting a slight echo from our uh, our little porn stash from Alien, right? We're yeah. getting a little no, marine no. style locker. No, because everybody else has your typical naked booby pictures, but he has these really artsy black yeah, and white oh, photos black and white. of women from behind. There's no. It, <laughs> they're like so artsy. He likes a classy gal like Ripley, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> But Can you see the, a peek into his psyche? Can you see he's got like numbers on his arms? Yeah. I couldn't figure out what those were. Does anyone know what those were? Well, it says USCM, so I guess it's like his dog tag number, probably also on his. Yeah. Or 
was wondering if it wasn't. Does everybody have one? I don't know, but I think it could be a little bit of a callback to what George was saying earlier in the week, that he's the career Marine, right? That he's uh, the guy who, you know, I think you could you could read it that way. He's the guy that'll get a Marine tattoo. He's the guy that's been there the whole time, and this is what is, this is his career. It's not a, a, it's a choice he made, not something he was forced to do, and, you know, so on. I think you could read that into it, for sure, with that little tattoo. But I wanted to talk about Apo. So what he's doing here, when we got into this, is very strange to me. Because you got this drill sergeant guy, he's been yelling at everybody, calling everybody sweetheart, you know, and all that. But this this moment, the voiceover starts with him. He's kind of got a tone like this. He's like, there's nothing to worry about. Hey, there's nothing to worry about here. We're going to be fine. We're a team. Oh, and yeah, it's like, is, he, he's a little bit, it's a little bit like the the the, the Marine psychiatrist has come into the room for a minute for a little pre, pre-game, you know, Pep talk is sort of relaxing. Yeah. It, it ramps up, but at first he's got this really gentle tone and he's very reassuring, like a father giving a pep talk to his son before the big game. And then he starts into the, all right, sweethearts, let's get going. He starts talking about getting some all the time and he breaks right out of it. But I think it's a funny little cut yeah. just because you're just not used to hearing drill sergeant characters be so gentle. I wonder if that's troops. anything because maybe that was some improv he did and he was just like, well, maybe I'm going to switch it up a little bit because – as yeah. we cut to the boot and like slapping the uh, the little shin guards on, and, and obviously the boots are all. I love the patina; like they're very well like worn. They look like they've been worn a thousand times, and they're they're amazing. But we get a but not very, very futuristic. They're not very. You know what? It does one of those things. If they ain't broke, don't fix it. Combat boots get the yeah. job done. But they're not they, Reebok, are they? Though no, <laughs> they're not self lacing. But you get a very lengthy um, shot. Like, there's no break in this as, like, like yeah. Hicks is shooting up, and then you got Vasquez in the background. And, the, yeah, everyone, like, checks out their stuff, and, like, everyone's moving in and out of the frame. And it's very busy, but it's very unbroken until you get a little bit later, then it cuts. But you get, like, almost everybody in the platoon and some, like, some uh, doing some business. And then Apone, like, kicks in and starts yelling and screaming, and then it cuts to a different thing. But this whole thing starts very delicate and then moves, but it's very fluid. Well, there's also yeah. what, to me, read is kind of a delicate exchange between Drake and Vasquez, mm-hmm. which seemed – it was the first time I felt like they're not just buddies, like they're best pals, but I felt like there's a tenderness there. Yeah. The way he says, okay, baby. Because yeah. I can't hear what she says to him. But it's, something there says intimacy to me. Yeah. There's like an intimacy yeah, to them. They love each other. Yeah. But maybe not in a romantic way, but well, that's the first place you know, where I wondered if they actually love each other. Maybe a little romantic. Yeah, they're We talked about it when when we first get the introduction and like and we get the dynamic of their relationship. We talked about it a little bit more brotherly. And we kind of just kept it brother, not brother and sister, because honestly, she plays more of the big brother role between the two of them. So uh, that's how we saw it. I, I don't really read it as romantic. I don't read her as being romantic I at all. Not romantic so, love, but not as a, uh, a romantic love. I mean, they definitely are there for each other, but they're not. Um, it's quite, they're not together. It's brotherhood. Yeah. Brotherhood. Yeah. I mean, that was all. But this is. I was with you until there's just that one moment. Yeah. There's just a little something there to me that is a deeper love than just a brother. But I don't know. I'm just maybe t- maybe he's totes crushing on her. <laughs> maybe they're you know how many people yeah, are shipping sweetness. these guys they're like their otp yeah you got, you're making a good point there george <laughs> <laughs> well so in this moment too though we get 
I guess maybe the best bit of body armor graffiti, right? On Vasquez. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We get El Riesco Siempre Vive, which means risk always lives. Um, it's pretty cool. This is Jeanette Goldstein creation as well. As far as I, as far as I understand, all of this graffiti is from the actors themselves. They were given carte blanche to write whatever they wanted on their gear. And so she, she's got this nice and prominent right on that, on that torso protector. Um, it's really cool. And if you want to get an El Riesco Siempre Vive t-shirt, just come over to our T public oh. page. Hey and it, unless at this point I've had a cease and desist from 20th Century Fox. <laughs> so get them, buy one. <laughs> get them, get them while they're hot. Um, because we also get, you know, shortly after we get Frost, who's apparently, uh, he's on hand the guns out duty, uh, running over to lockers, handing out guns. And we get a glimpse of his graffiti, which is a heart with an arrow through it that says Heath inside of it. Is that his kid, maybe? Well, this is what, (laughs) yeah, no, this, this is the story on, um, I believe, uh, I'll get the story as close to accurate as possible, but on Matt Gorley's show, I was there too. He, uh, Rico Ross was on and discussing this. And apparently he was dating a girl or married to a girl named Heather at the time. And he went to do his graffiti and he started Heather and realized he didn't have enough room. And then he thought, yeah. And he he said, you know, why not? Why not? Heath? who cares? It's the future. Right. So um, if you'd like to get your uh, heart with an arrow through it that says Heath T-shirt, just come over to our T Public page and get that <laughs> sign there. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think really it's really like Big Valley. Did he like the candy bar? I, no, I thought he really liked Big Valley. That was even deeper cut. <laughs> <laughs> Lee well, Majors. Lee Majors played a guy named Heath in Big Valley. There you go. Oh, okay. Look back mountain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Heath Ledger. Uh, he was ahead of his time. He was way ahead of his time. Oh, man. (laughs) Way ahead of his time. (laughs) Well, I don't have anything else for this minute. Yeah, the rest of this is military porn. Yeah, I love it when we do the next cut, and then the rest of the thing is just a tracking shot. I'm a sucker for a very busy, very well-executed tracking shot, and I think this is great because they start, as soon as they cut from uh, the initial scene with uh, with the combat boot, they jump to this, and it just, the camera follows them the whole way. It's unbroken. It's just... Guns, 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 frenetic movement, kinetic, you know, this and that. And it's just choreography, and it's beautiful. I love stuff like that. And it does get Apone pretty excited, right? Because he does do a little, uh, like, right at the end of that. It's a nice, I think, an 80-yard little grunt there. And then he refers to them as absolutely badasses, which I've always I've always been like, did you mean absolute? Did You, you didn't mean absolutely, right? I don't quite understand, but... No, that's that's what we end the minute on. We're we're in full marine gung ho yeah. mode, right as we're going to enter into next so week. Thick right now, <laughs> it's it's, well, it's. If anybody's in or around Seattle, I don't know if it's a permanent part of the exhibit, but the Sci-Fi Museum, uh, when I was there last, had the alien power loader and the queen in their exhibit. Well, when I was up oh, there, man. there was a, a face hugger. Face hugger. We just sneak in there. I and never fight them. Ten years ago. Uh, I've been there. I don't remember seeing any alien stuff, but I was it's possible probably rotating. Just, traveling. It's possible rotating. Well, I was also just so focused on the immense amount of Star Trek stuff that's in there. I kind of didn't care about anything else. It's it's pretty crazy. Uh, I'm forgetting. What's the guy's name that owns that stuff? Uh, the old Microsoft guy. Um, 
the guy Paul Allen. Oh, yeah, Paul yeah. Allen. He owns, he owns the Seahawks and was one of the Microsoft guys, and he is the biggest. He's the richest Star Trek fan in the world. Let's just say uh, that place. Is, so, folks, if you've never been to the Sci-Fi Museum at the bottom of the Space Needle in Seattle, definitely go if you're ever there. It's a beautiful place. All right. Well, if we have nothing else to do, any, does anybody have any final words to say as we end the week? Well, thank you for having us on. We can't yeah, wait to come back great. for the next thank million. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now you have no pressure. Uh, no pressure. You'll have to talk to whoever hosts that yeah. show. Oh, no. That was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Inside baseball. but. George, you have anything else to say? Uh, no, I mean, thanks for having me. This was great. It was a lot of fun, and I love this movie. And these are some good, solid character building minutes. And they just, you know, they just kind of get me all pumped up. And I want to watch the movie like forty-seven times in a row now. Yep, I'm with you on that. <laughs> all right, well, fast forward to when uh, everybody else is dead except Ripley. Spoilers. <laughs> You're just like this is my. <laughs> Who's oh, yeah, oh. Wait, You mean alien? I mean, not everybody else. I was going to well, say, not yeah. <laughs> Man, lots of spoilers. Sorry about that. All right. Well, of course, you can find us over at AlienMinute.com on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Um, Giving a shout out once again at the end of the week to Alex and Pete over at Star Wars Minute. Uh, Find them at Star Wars Minute. (laughs) You can find them over at StarWarsMinute.com or you can find any of the Movies by Minute podcasts at MoviesByMinutes.com, including the Mogwai Minute co-hosted by our this week's co-host george hendrix so go over and check that out by the way if you're not it's not about the band mogwai no, no. it is about the movie <laughs> because Grimm. if we did just that saying. and it was one mogwai song that we'd spend like six weeks on just one song exactly so you guys made the right choice going with gremlins <laughs> yeah the movie's All right, well, shorter that's... than the band's uh, repertoire <laughs> that's true all right well that's gonna be, do it for minute number 30 we'll see you next week for minute 31